Welcome to another history of networking here at the Network Collective. This week we are talking to Paul Michapetris over at, uh, I don't even know where you work, Paul. Now, but anyway, he invented the domain name system. He's very important, as you can see. So, <laughs> Paul, why don't you tell us a little about yourself, where you actually work now, because I didn't catch that somehow in the email thread, and where you're working on, and then tell us the history of DNS, because it's a pretty fascinating system inside the network ecosystem. Yeah, sure. Um, well, actually, to, right now, I'm the chief scientist at a company called ThreatStop down in Carlsbad. Uh, I just came back after spending eight years in uh, Paris at uh, Lipstick, is the University of Pierre-Marie Curie. Um, so I'm back in the startup world. Uh, but to go back in history, um, you know, I was an undergrad at MIT. Um, Went to work at a software company, got bored, went to California, UC Irvine. Uh, did my PhD thesis there in Irvine and um, then uh, worked at ISI, which is where the DNS was uh, documented and so forth. So let me tell you a little bit about sort of the official history and then some of the unofficial parts. Okay. So, um, you know, when I was working at uh, ISI, they had just a ton of money from DARPA um, to do networking research. And so they hired me, even though they were only supposed to hire USC students, they were short on USC students. So they hired a UC Irvine guy and said, hi, would you like an office overlooking the marina and all the computer time that you want? And, um, you know, we'll pay you. That sounds awful. Yeah. <laughs> it was an offense against God and nature. Um, so I was there, and I was originally doing research about TCP, which was like the question of the day, because people were worried about things like, how would you send card images over TCP? You know, like there's all that blank space at the end of a card. You don't really want to transmit that, you know. Because you got to be able to replicate punch cards between... That's, that's yeah, I mean, you know, people, you know. Um, and so um, I was doing that, but... The thing of it was is that there were all these experts that were doing it, you know, the bit surfs and John Post, all these famous people were worried about TCP stuff. And I kind of said, gee, this isn't, you know, that really, it wasn't like, I was a grad student, which is the lowest form of, of life, even below janitor, you know? Um, <laughs> so, um, you know, even though I had a nice office, um, so eventually one day John Postel said, well, gee, maybe what you would want to do is to take a look at these different proposals we have for this thing called the naming system and, um, you know, and, and like put together a compromise or something. Because there was, at the time, there was the Xerox networking system that had its own naming system. And then there was the X500 people, the Internet, International Standards Organization. There was a proposal to have just a big supercomputer in Wisconsin at uh, the university there. Um, and there was a couple of other things. And, you know, I didn't really like this. Um, so I went and did my own thing. Now you might say, well, Paul, how could you do your own thing? Well, the answer was at the time, nobody thought it was important. Okay. Like one of the questions I always get is like, 
you know, was there some thing like the Hunger Games where you competed against 500 people to get to design the DNA? <laughs> no. People weren't fighting over that. They were fighting over how to send card images over TCP. So um, they kind of let me do it. it you know, it, so, you know, when I tell people, you know, what do you want to work on? Um, I tell them, well, you know, what you'd like to do is work on something that nobody else thinks it's important or possible. And you do. You believe. Okay, so why did I believe is, I guess, is, might be the, the question you had asked to follow up on that. We have to kind of rewind history a little bit. When I was at MIT as an undergrad, I worked at the uh, architecture machine, which is what became the media lab. I was Nicholas Negroponte's first employee, okay? And at the time, neither Nicholas nor I were known at all. We were unimportant. So Nicholas couldn't get time on the big time-sharing machines and so forth. All he could get is donations of mini computers. So we had, and we only had one disk drive to share between three mini computers. So together with some other students there, we put together a distributed computer operating system. Okay, so this is where this whole idea about distributed computing sort of started. Now the thing was, this was in the architecture department and we were like designing buildings and parks and doing useful work. We didn't realize that we were doing breakthrough computer science. Okay, but we were. <laughs> uh, Meanwhile, I had another part-time job at IBM, which was working on uh, what became uh, virtual VM370 or virtual machine technology. Um, and so the whole idea about having multiple virtual machines and having them work together, okay, you get this distributed computing stuff. I just had, it was kind of in my DNA. Um, when I graduated, I went to work for Draper Labs trying to make spacecraft work after you launch them. And in those days, you didn't just reprogram them while they're outside of, you know, Jupiter. Um, you had to, like, launch them and make them right. And so we did a lot of simulation and also a lot of redundancy in the control system so that if something broke, the whole spacecraft would still work. Um, so there was all of that in my kind of DNA and experience. Um, when I went to grad school, um, I worked with Dave Farber on the distributed computer system at UC Irvine. And there you would send packets, not by address, but by name. Okay, so like you go, oh, gee, naming technology distributed. I mean, it was, it was basically cloud computing uh, before there was a term for cloud computing. Um, so all of that background is really where the DNS came from. There was all these other, th all the other proposals that were out there from other people, but me, it was kind of like, okay, you have to have redundancy. It can't break. It has to be simple, blah, blah, blah. So that's the design biases that I incorporated into the DNS. And if you kind of look at the protocols that were being designed at the time, um, like, uh, you know, SMTP at all, um, you know, everybody knew that protocols were done in ASCII and you had these command lines and you had these three-digit codes and stuff like that. And, you know, and, and, you know, the DNS was the one alien protocol where, you know, it's used binary and blah, blah, blah. So um, what happened was I wrote up some specs for it um, that were called XXX and YYY. These are draft documents. And um, they went through a couple of iterations and they became the 1034 and 1035 documents that you know. Along the course of that, you were asking me earlier about Ion Adder. 
Um, in the original DNS, you could only map from names to addresses. Um, and somebody said, well, no, we have to be able to do the reverse. And I said, well, gee, what you need to do is just build a different part of the namespace that does the reverse mapping. Um, and that's how I and Adder came about. Um, so, so why did they actually want to do that? I mean, I know why we use it today. We use it for um, mostly for mail servers and security type stuff. But why did they want to use it? I mean, I use it just to find out where an IP address is coming from, stuff like that. But why were they concerned about this? I, you know, as far as I can tell, the big application was so that you could print in logs where stuff came from by machine name, by mnemonic rather than IP address. Yeah, um, interesting. Because you, I mean, you know, and and people have gone back and forth, and I, I don't know, has the IPv6 community like decided whether or not they have to have reverse mappings? I actually don't know that there's any Nadra ARPA space for IPv6. Now that you say it, I never even looked to see. But yeah, like you're fighting, you're fighting multiple battles there. There's like, well, do you want to do DHCP or do you want to do auto configuration? And yeah, Slack uh, versus DHCP, and yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so there's always this question about that. So um, you know that that was that was part of the evolution. So the original specs were in '83. The updated specs, which we know today is 1034 and 1035 came out and I guess it was 86. So there was like one, like one or two iterations of the protocol um, there before we got to where we are today. Um, one of my favorite diagrams is to take a look, you know, and that was like a hundred odd pages of stuff. Um, and today I think there are more than a hundred RFCs that, you know, use the DNS in various ways. So, you know, the, the success of it all, it, it kind of reminds me of that, you know, Gaudi Cathedral in Barcelona where the first few floors were planned and then there's all this <laughs> stuff that's been built on top of it. It's kind of weird, right? Um, you know, and uh, so if you look at the DNS today, you know, I always tell people I built like the first two stories of this building and then there's all the stuff that got added. Um, some parts of it didn't work and kind of fell over and, you know, there's all of these things that were defined, but, um, you know, one of my pet peeves is people come to me and they always ask the question, well, Paul, when you designed the DNS, did you understand all of the ways that it could be used? And I always tell them, well, you know, if I could have, it would have been not so good. I mean, it's wrong. <laughs> you want to be able to design a technology that can be used for, um, by other people to do cool things. I mean, I remember one of the the great, um, you know, things that pleased me during the growth of the DNS was the, you know, the MX record that's used to route mail was the first thing that was built on top of the DNS where I wasn't the sole author. <laughs> you know, it was great to see somebody else pick, up, pick it up and run with it. So, you know, a hammer doesn't know all the nails it's going to meet, but, you know, it should be able to deal with them. Um, and I, so I think the DNS has been, you know, very extensible. Um, so, so how did it end up in the IETF? You, you talked about the specs. So I'm just curious that in those days, the IETF was not given, right? I mean, it was ITU, there was all these other places. So why the IETF? I'm just curious, because you, you know, you were talking about other X500 and all this other stuff. Yeah, well, I mean, if you go online, one of the, I have a slide where I talk about this issue. And so I, you know, I have um, some quotes from the internet, you know, it talks about how 
you know, the IETF invented the, the DNS to deal with the name to address mapping problem. Um, and, you know, that, that uh, you know, it did it in 1983. Um, and then there's another quote that I have that the IETF started in 1986. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, the point was, is that the DNS specs were out there for three years before the IETF existed. So no, it wasn't really a product of the ITF. Um, you know, one of the, you know, if I had a glass of wine in front of me as well, or maybe my second or third, we could talk about whether or not the IETF works the same way and so forth. But it wasn't a product of the ITF because the ITF didn't exist. Uh, certainly today, the IETF, um, you know, uh, stewards the, the standards and so forth. Um, but it's a different world. In those days, you yeah. know, it was uh, a bunch of us. So, so why, so, but why didn't the ITU pick it up? Because the ITU was obviously doing the X500 work. It, was it because it was competitive to X500? I mean, because I know I was in the world of Banyan Vines and Novell Netware about that time, but let's not go there. Anyway, and that was like a big deal was X500 was going to come in and solve all these problems between the Microsoft and the IBM and all this other stuff and solve all this directory issue and stuff. And uh, somehow DNS ended up being an IETF thing instead of anything else, which is kind of interesting. Yeah, uh, well, you know, I, I remember a famous meeting. I was at a conference in Nottingham, England. And there actually is a sheriff of Nottingham, by the way, to this day, but it's more of an honorary. <laughs> Um, at any rate, and so I had two of my betters come over and explain to me about how, you know, this X500 is an important thing, and this DNS is just getting in the way, and you should stop. And if you don't stop, we will bury you. And I went, wow, this is like a Khrushchev line. I love it. Um, but uh, yeah, they, they kind of... The, you didn't the, sound intimidated there. <laughs> you didn't sound intimidated there. <laughs> didn't work, did it? No, I gave up. <laughs> I mean, you know, there, there's, a, in the history of the internet, there's been a couple of these kind of political wars. And, uh, you know, in the, um, in this particular case, uh, you know, it seemed to me that the, 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 the Darwin issues about why did DNS work and, X500 not was, well, the X500 thing was very complicated and much more capable. Certainly um, LDAP is descended from X500 and LDAP is used in a bunch of places. Um, and certainly X509 certificates um, for better or worse um, survive. But you know, at the time uh, X500 didn't organize itself. See, when I take a look at the original DNS design, the magic in it was you could go and get your domain and then you could add stuff yourself. And the other thing was, is that the way the name server records and so forth work, um, the database would organize itself because there was a very simple principle. You could always go to the top, i.e. to the root, and you could always go down. So you could get to any domain out there. Whereas X500 had separate configuration information. Um, and at any rate, and we were ready to go and there was an implementation called bind that got put on the Berkeley distribution, um, and BSD, you know, the Berkeley yeah. distribution, BSD, 
was certainly one of the things that made all of the internet protocols, not just the DNS, um, spread around the world, around the US and then around the world. So, you know, by the time the X500 people were ready to go, um, all of a sudden everybody was delivering mail using DNS and so forth. And, you know, um, it was much simpler and lightweight. Uh, so, so I think that, I think that goes back to your original statement that you design a protocol that can, that can build a foundation for lots of interesting things. And what we find with X500 and a lot of ITU stuff overall seems to me is this idea that I'm going to find every corner case that anyone ever thought of and everything anybody can bring into the big tent. And I'm going to figure out a way to solve it in this protocol rather than building something simple and light and letting other people take over and figure out how to use it to extend it and do the right thing with it and think of new ways of doing it. And, you know, we seem to be in that mode today. You talked about the ITF and how it's different. That's something I see different about the ITF is that we see a new thing come in and all of a sudden all these things pile into it and we've got to find every corner case and fix them all somehow rather than just saying, build something simple, build it quick, code it, get it out there, and then other people can figure it out if they need to, how to extend it to solve certain things. But that seems to me to be uh, one of those things. I've lost control of my microphone. <laughs> See that? <laughs> I, have a, I have a question that kind of got sparked from that conversation around BSD. And that is, you know, you started out this, and when you started the conversation, you're like, you worked on the thing that no one really cared about. And now we're at the point where it's getting distributed with BSD. When in the process did you realize that like this was a bit bigger than something that you're working on in a corner all by yourself? When did, when did you realize it was going to be something a bit more? Uh, you know, I mean, I had a couple of experiences during my long and, and perhaps not distinguished graduate uh, student year. Um, I took a class in VLSI design from Carver Mead at Caltech, even though I was a UC Irvine student, but I had friends, so I could go take classes at Caltech, even though I wasn't registered in. And, you know, it, 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 it seemed to me inevitable from that class, and I don't know if you guys have ever, you know, know of Carver, but he was, he was just kind of a, a real genius, and a lot of it was is that he would look at the VLSI technology and the scaling, you know, and Moore's law is perhaps the predominant dimension there. But there's a lot of other dimensions behind it having to do with, well, gee, okay, how do you manage the power budget? Um, and why do the voltages have to go on? And, you know, and can you scale it? And I came away from that with the, the whole premise that computing power was going to scale. And that led me to a lot of different conclusions. Uh, one of which was is that the personal computer was pretty much inevitable. Another one was, um, you know, I was sitting at ISI after the DNS was launched. I mean, one of the things that happened was ARPA sponsored me to create the DNS and so forth. Um, and then after a while, I wanted to do some new things. So I, I tried to talk to ARPA about it and they said, nah, nah, it's not research anymore. And so I went to the NSF and I said, well, I want to do this project. And this project is, I still have the proposal and the reviewer's comment, it was called Index. And what I wanted to do was use the DNS to build a distributed index of all of the sites around the internet, all the websites and so forth. And the reviewer said, no, no, you can't keep track of them. There's thousands of them. <laughs> um, it, it, it's really kind of funny uh, looking back at it. Um, but uh, so, 
you know, basically because they wouldn't, they, you know, the, the, the model was that the, you know, the research agencies weren't funding anything in that direction. They, they were willing to fund me to fix pines, which I don't think has ever been fixed, but, you know, are, are finished. But um, they didn't, you know, this whole idea about indexing the whole internet, that's just, just wrong. Uh, <laughs> Google. Uh, it was it was it was pretty funny. So um, about that time, um, the ARPA people said, "Well, we have some spare money, but the next, the you know, the next generation is going to be this X five hundred stuff. You know, so how about we give you a little bit of money to organize a consortium to build X five hundred? And I said, "Well, okay, but the money that I get out of this consortium is totally discretionary, right?" <laughs> and they said. They said, well, well, send us the proposal, right? And so I put together this proposal called Fielding Operational X500, otherwise known as the Fox Project, um, which is how I funded you know, my next year of BNS research. Uh, <laughs> but you know, eventually NSF, NSF wouldn't let me do index and so forth. So, um, and the ARPA people said, Hey, you whipped together this Fox proposal really quickly. And I said, well, yeah, the secret was that you wanted a consortium of three different universities to do it. So I sent out email to five of my favorite universities saying, hey, I'll give you this much money to work on, you know, X500. And here's the amount of money. And here's how long it will be. And um, by the way, there's going to be three of you funded. And I'm sending this to you to five of my best friends. Let me know if you want to take the deal. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so ARPA was impressed with the fact that I put together this proposal in record time. And they said, hey, if you're good at doing proposals, you want to come here and be a program manager. Um, so um, when, uh, when, it, when NSF wouldn't fund index, I said, well, OK, I'll go be a program manager. Um, which, which enlarged my horizons a whole lot, but basically I took, I took a three-year holiday from BNS while I was an ARPA program manager. Um, and one of the interesting things that happened then was that NSF took over the registration function and then let network solutions start charging for names, um, which... Uh, Certainly changed the DNS industry. Dan Lynch, a friend of mine, always says that I'm the only guy he knows that invented a billion-dollar industry but hasn't made any money off of it yet. Um, <laughs> so, so they, so why did they start charging for names? By the way, just because of the maintenance cost, or how did that happen? Well, originally, when you want to go get a domain name, the people that did the host table, which was the system before that, were at SRI, um, and uh, so when domain names started catching on, um, they, they wanted to do that because they thought it was a natural extension. And so they started out with a staff of three people. And then after a while, they had 25 people. And the Department of Defense was paying for 25 people to register domain names for predominantly um, educational and a few commercial places. So they said, no, no, this, we, we don't want to spend our money on this. This isn't research, blah, blah, blah. Um, NSF picked it up, and then after a while, they said, oh, my God, look at how much, you know, we're going to have to expand the staff and blah, blah, blah. So um, they let them charge, and the rest was history. Um, and I remember going in and, and 
Steve Wolf was the NSF program manager for this. Um, and, uh, you know, he said, well, you know, I think I'm going to let these guys charge. And I said, well, who are you going to have manage it? And he said, well, the NSF will do it. And I said, no, 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 no. Once there's real money in this game, like you guys are the sheep and the wolves are going to get you. And, you know, the, 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 you know, the SAIC and VeriSign and all of those velociraptors just kind of like took NSF to the cleaners and which is why we have the dot-com deals that we have today, but oh well, uh, for historical reasons. So the commercialization of that, you know, I thought that you needed to have somebody who was used to dealing with aggressive uh, contractors um, and NSF, you know, isn't that place. But at any rate, the commercialization probably, you know, I, I must admit, I never really thought that the marketing and the, and the legal type, the trademark lawyer types would have the field days that they've had, but oh well. So, so that, so that kind of, so somehow or another NSF wrote a contract to IANA, right? To do this? No, 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 they, they wrote the contract to Network Solutions. Okay. SRI was originally doing it and they put it out and Network Solutions won the deal. And then Network Solutions, um, you know, SAIC, there's just this long, tawdry set of uh, contractors as people realized, you know, that this was really a cash cow. So, so I mean, it certainly has turned into a cash cow with the new domain names that are being out there being sold, TLDs. The new TLDs have apparently raised millions, maybe billions of dollars, I guess, for um, IANA or whoever is managing it now, right? I mean, I've seen some of the some of the auctions go across, and I'm like, wow, really? <laughs> That's well, a lot. Of money. There's a you know there's a very peculiar power dynamic there. I can um, supposedly manages the namespace. Right, I can. Uh, I say IANA, but it's actually I can. Yeah, IANA used to be part of ICANN. Now it's quasi separate, even though I I don't think the office the offices are still in the same building. You know, yeah, <laughs> they share the cafeteria or whatever. Um, and uh, yeah, but I mean, there's also the Verisigns and the registries and the registrars. Um, and yeah, it's uh, it's pretty amazing. Um, if you if you want to see different parts of the DNS world, you can go to an ICANN meeting. Um, or, you know, and, and that's amazing. Or you can go to like one of these domainer, you know, these, these people that sort of trade domain names and so forth. Um, they have their meetings in like Las Vegas or whatever. And, uh, you know, I've gone to a couple of them. It's really, it, it's pretty amazing to see the different ways that things can go. Um, and, uh, you know, I must admit, I, I didn't, you know, the history of this is like so peculiar because in the early days it was run by academics and then, you know, and for a long time they said, oh, we can't add new um, domain, new TLDs because it would affect the security and stability of the internet. Okay. Um, for, you know, something that's changing so rapidly, there's a bunch of the people there that are just like remarkably conservative. So, you know, they would come to me and they would say, Paul, you know, is it okay to add new TLDs? And I would say, well, how many? And they would say, well, you know, 10 or 20. And I would say, yeah, sure, it'll work. And they would say, no, no, that's not the right answer. Let's go ask, <laughs> <laughs> Tell them go ask Paul Dixie and say, no, that'll work. That's not a problem. 
and uh, but politically they didn't want to do it, you know, except for Doc Cat, right? I mean, because <laughs> cats are cute. <laughs> you know, it's now, I guess, been seized by the Spanish government. Um, but I, you know, at any rate. Um, so until they did this round of a thousand for a long time, like, oh my God, you know, if you added new domain names, it would affect the security and stability. No, 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 no. And then they had a thousand and it didn't break. So, um, you know, it's kind of funny uh, to, to see how that all uh, turned out. Yeah. So, so there's always this sense of DNS as being the slow lane, like everything is really slow in DNS, you know, it takes a long time to get through the query process and everything. I know mean, when I worked at Veristine Labs, I didn't find it to be that way. We were looking at ILMP for a long time, and it seemed to me that DNS was plenty fast to solve many of the problems that we're trying to solve in other ways, like using locator identification type of separation type concepts that we're seeing come out. It seemed always seemed to me that DNS was plenty fast to solve those kinds of things. So any thoughts on that area? And were you thinking about locator identification separation in the naming system or were you just thinking human readability? Uh, well, I wasn't actually, I mean, you know, this is, this is one of the, the, the false premises. Uh, the, you know, the, the, D, the DNS spec that you see in 1034 and 1035 was designed to be sort of the minimal set of stuff. Um, and it had a bunch of hints about where you might want to add stuff. Like people always say, well, how come, you know, the query section, you know, allows up to 64,000 entries and there's only one. Well, nobody, I, I always figured people, you know, that I'd given people a color by numbers thing and they would figure out how to color some of this stuff in and they never did. Um, so in particular, with regard to the, the uh, labels, uh, you know, the, the original design had a label that there was four different kinds of labels of which I used two and left two for people to use in the future. And I always assumed that people were going to, for example, add binary labels where you can just match a binary thing if you wanted to. Um, you know, and people always say, well, there was no incremental update. Why didn't you think of that? And I said, well, actually, you know, the spec says that you can make copies of zones however you want. And I always figured that incremental would be something that you would add. So there's a whole bunch of things that I thought people would add and some of them they added and some of which they added stuff that was different. Um, but you know, it, 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 it's, it, it's evolution. But I never thought that the DNS was particularly slow, particularly in comparison to the alternatives. <laughs> the zone file. <laughs> Well, no, I mean, you, you know, the, um, I mean, it's kind of funny because I had this argument for a long time. I worked with this company called Nominum. Um, which just oh, I remember them. Nominum. Yeah, I remember them. Um, and, uh, you know, the way I got involved with Nominum is I came, I was uh, in Silicon Valley and a VC said, hey, will you, there's these guys that have this DNS company, will you go do due diligence on them for me? And I went over there and I did due diligence and I said, well, you know, they have a bunch of, they're doing a bunch of interesting technology, but their business model is write open source software and give it away. And, you know, they're, they're burned through their first round and, you know, there's no, there's no revenue. I mean, it's not, it's not going to work. So um, they decided that VC decided to pass, but the people called me up and said um, from the company called me up and said, well, gee, you know, the VCs passed. I said, well, of course they passed. You have no business plan. 
um, well, could you help us? And so I agreed to help, help them um, get funded. So I wasn't a founder there. I was there for the sort of Series B financing. Um, you know, the original was a bunch of angels who just recently got their money back. Um, <laughs> but, um, you know, the, 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 the next round of investors came along because we said, hey, we can, you know, figure out how to sell this. And so the, the performance thing, making uh, a DNS that was acceptable to carriers, you know, so that could be scaled to a carrier size was one of the original uh, things Nominum did, primarily because I didn't see anybody else doing it. Um, when you talk about performance, you know, like the buying people were using, you know, standard IEEE threading kind of stuff to take advantage of multiprocessors. And I said, this is nuts. A DNS query is so small, you know, that by Amdahl's law, you have to figure out how to have lightweight multiprocessing because you can't afford the, the overhead of doing, you know, a big task switch. You know, it has to be lightweight, um, you know, because the query isn't that big. So, you know, it, it was one of the continuing sources of frustration where I had a bunch of net, networking experts tell me that multiprocessors would, you know, were no good for DNS. And go like, what? You know, you're crazy. You know, I mean, and he said, well, you know, when you use the IEEE threads, you know, the overhead, I said, well, don't do that. It'll hurt your head. Uh, so, um, and unfortunately the, the, you know, some of the people that the, that the VC sent in, um, you know, said, oh, Paul, you're wrong. You're just, you know, you just have this rapture about multiprocessors and how, you know, the clock rate is not going to, the clock rate's not going to keep going up forever. Well, you know, I just went from a two gigahertz clock to a three gigahertz clock and, you know, four, six, eight is up next. I said, no, no, the chips are going to melt down because going back to the Caltech thing, I'm sorry, you have to go to a multiprocessor architecture because it's, it's going to melt. Um, so, you know, Nominum uh, eventually did do a multiprocessor architectures kind of, and then kind of said, Paul, why did you, why didn't you tell us to do this? Very, very odd thing, but uh, <laughs> so they had uh, performance advantage, which is one of the reasons why a lot of um, uh, carriers like their product. The other thing is once you go to um, a threaded multiprocessor architecture, you go, okay, um, you know, now that I use four processors, I can saturate a one gig feed, um, you know, a one gig ethernet connection. Um, but, you know, I have eight, what should I do with the other four? And that led to one of the trends that we have today, which is having DNS queries do more than just look up the data, but also, for example, look up whether or not the source of that data is, you know, a source of malware. Um, and so forth. So you get this DNS firewall, DNS filtering stuff, um, which is basically what my company ThreatStop is uh, working on. Uh, because, you know, using reputation data to decide which IP addresses you want to talk to and which names you want to talk to um, is, uh, you know, the, the cheapest security that's around. So it's kind of the fast path for security because in reality, taking apart an email message and figuring out whether the attachment is gonna be bad, you know, and sandboxing it and doing all that kind of stuff is expensive. 
if what you can do is you can just say, oh, gee, that's an IP address you don't want to talk to, then you can throw it away at wire speed in your router. Um, so lately, I think, um, you know, that's that's been sort of what I've been working on with ThreatStop. But, you know, right now, it's kind of funny. I think the DNS, certainly in the case of mail, spend the DNS spends much more time figuring out what mail to throw away than it does delivering mail. You know, doing all of the stuff with, you know, authentication and so forth um, and filtering email, you know, the protection against the bad takes much more cycles than doing the good. And that's, you know, one of the, the trends that I think I see throughout the industry is that as we try and add security, we spend much more in the way of resources defending against the bad stuff than we do actually delivering the good stuff. Yeah, um, I, would say that's, I would say that's absolutely true right now. Given the state of the spam coming into my inbox. <laughs> Yeah, it's, um, you know. And my, and my phone, by the way, and my phone. <laughs> yeah, I know. I, I always wonder if I'm supposed to pick up these calls that say spam likely. <laughs> <laughs> or or no, scam likely. Scam likely, yeah. So what is the most surprising thing from your view that was added to DNS? I mean, what was the one thing that you looked at and you went, wow, they added that to DNS? That's weird. <laughs> well, I don't know. You know, there's all of these, uh, there's all of these new TLDs. Um, so I was, you know, really surprised to find out. I got this message from my sister and she's telling me about some application she's using in the, in the dot .fit top level domain, right? Um, I think that uh, two of the more amusing things were um, you know, there was the dot kosher top level domain and there were different people that wanted to run it, right? So it was a competitive thing. And I figured, oy vey, they're never going to be able to figure out who should get dot kosher, right? Uh, but they did, you know? Um, and uh, there, there's also... Anymore, so... There's also the, the dot back or dot wine top level domain. And, um, you know, the French believed in the whole Appalachian Controle laws, which said that, well, you have to label things with the country of origin, which is why champagne can only be made in a certain place in France, right? You know, like California champagne is a non-starter with the French. You can't <laughs> There's even this town in Switzerland, which since the 600s has been called champagne, right? but they're not allowed to put their name on their bottles. Okay. <laughs> you know, the French are kind of oppressing this one little town in. Uh, <laughs> but when it came to this fight over dot wine and dot van, um, who is it? Well, it's France versus New Zealand. You go, what? What is, what, what is this all about? Well, the answer is, is that New Zealand is one of the places that doesn't enforce this controlled naming thing. And so certain other countries that don't, you know, certain other small countries that don't follow the rules like the U.S. and China were just sending New Zealand up against France so that it would look like France was the big bully abusing the little New Zealand. <laughs> So, wow. you know, the politics behind this stuff can get to be pretty bizarre. <laughs> uh, <laughs> That's really weird. <laughs> you know, 
it's uh, it, it, it's really weird. Um, you know, I think that the other thing that's, um, you know, from the standpoint of the most bizarre and amusing stuff on a technical level in the IETF was, you know, that the IETF once upon a time said that, um, gee, you know, it's a misuse of the DNS to use it to carry security information because it's insecure. Okay. And, and, and the IETF would make oh, these- Dane. Yeah, Dane. Dane. Well, no, Dane is, is, is new, but yeah, no, no, the, the, the prevailing religion now is, is that, well, we got to use DNSSEC. You got to bow down to DNSSEC and bow down to Dane and the Internet Society and all like that. It's all, it's all wonderful. Dan Bernstein has a wonderful film where he talks about DNSSEC as being, you know, the God's gift to denial of service attacks. Uh, but, you know. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I, I think that, I, you know, DNSSEC, I think, is, um, you know, an interesting thing. I, I often wonder if there's some simpler and better way to do it, um, because I'm a, I'm a real fan of simple and, and better. If you look at my resume, you'll see that I take credit for DS and SMTP, because that was my first job at ISI. <laughs> they said, they said I'm going to explain. They said, Paul, you have to go and implement the MTP protocol. You can go find it. I think there's an RFC that defines the MTP protocol. And I kind of looked at this and I said, this is like garbage. This is like too much stuff. This will never, this is like too complicated. And they said, well, take out what the parts you don't like. And so that's how SMTP was born because I did a slash and burn on MTP. Um, and uh, you know, but I was only a grad student then, so I never got my name on the RFCs. No, I, I believe that a very simple foundation is there, um, and, and extensibility is the way to go. Um, you know, and if you want to learn, um, you try and do those turns pretty quickly, uh, but you try and base them on experience. So, so, so why is the see? We brought this up before. But, um, or in the pre-show we were talking, why does it go from right to left? Since everybody wants to know, I'm sure somebody out there wants to know. I've never actually asked this question or understood, or you even thought about it, but why does it go right to left? Why is the TLD on the right side? Have you used a browser lately? <laughs> <laughs> you know, like when I, when I want to go to Yahoo, I type like YA and it auto-completes, right? <laughs> Back in the old days, uh, we used to have autocomplete on deck system 10s and 20s, and we thought it was a great feature. So if you want to do auto-completion, it's got to go the, that way. So <laughs> that's it. That's the answer. And there's a lot of people that kind of, to this day, go, oh, my God, you screwed the pooch by you know, having it go <laughs> the wrong order. And I say, you know, I was I wanted to be able to do autocomplete, and if you start by typing ARPA, it doesn't know where to go. Whereas if you start by typing, you know, f.isi, maybe it knows how to autocomplete. You know, it, it knows how to autocomplete off the local part, so type that first. That's the whole point of autocomplete. Um, because other than that, I didn't really see a reason to go left to right or right to left. Um, so the autocomplete function is the reason why. Oh wow, that's really cool. So what would, would be one thing that you would change about DNS if you can go back and change it? You know, I think what I would have, I would have done is I would have, uh, you know, at the time I was very impressed at the way that IBM wrote its manuals 
and that they would have sort of a separate description of the concepts and facilities and then details of how a specific implementation was done. So for example, they had the 360 instruction set, but it was implemented in a number of different technologies. You know, just like uh, you know, you have people that still are, are executing uh, off of Ethernet frames, even though instead of going over thick coax, they're going over the air. You know, um, so you know the from a standpoint of the concepts and facilities, I'm happy with it. Um, I have the separate, so that's why there's 1034 and 1035. There's the there's sort of the concepts. There's implementation recommendations. And I think what I would have done is perhaps had another thing, which was the, the living will, which is how you might want to go fill out the parts that were left blank, you know, like the reserve bits in the header and so forth. Um, you know, because I think that lots of times when people design something, you know, there's parts of it that they say, well, you know, for the future, you know, you're going to want to think about how to do this. And, and, and so, you know, about how to fill in. So I would do that. Um, you know, obviously what I would want to do is to own the namespace, but, uh, <laughs> and so, <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, obviously I would, or, or at least a few choice names, you know, uh, you know, and, and there's some things like, you know, there's the compression stuff, which probably wasn't done quite right. Um, you know, I, I think that the other thing was that, uh, you know, I wish that some of the technology, um, you know, had gotten done earlier rather than later. So that, for example, we probably wanted to think about how to standardize on some of the security stuff and so forth more quickly. Um, because by the time we got around to doing it, all of a sudden you had all of this morass of IETF stuff. Um, you know, the process is a lot slower today than it was back then. So staying ahead of the, of the lawyers and uh, the marketeers and so forth would have been a good thing, but oh well. Yeah, that's cool. Well, it's cool. It's really cool talking to you about this. Um, I think we need to wrap up, right, Jordan? We're 40 something minutes or whatever yep. it is. Yeah, cool. So since you're, since you're the origin of SMTP, maybe we'll talk to you sometime about the origins of MTP and SD, SMTP on another show. I didn't realize you were involved in all of that. That'd be kind of cool. Um, yeah, but thanks for coming on and talking to us about this. And, uh, you know, hopefully you have a great night and hopefully you're staying. No, you're in California, so you're warm. We don't like <laughs> you very much because you're in California and you're warm. <laughs> I might have to pick out a sweatshirt tonight. <laughs> Donald and I will sleep with the window open. <laughs> <laughs>